Welcome to the Sharkbrains podcast. My name is Ronald Knoll and I'm one of the co-developers of Wireshark. Uh, in this podcast, we will discuss all things about Wireshark as well as topics from the world of packet analysis and Sharkfest, which is our packet analysis and developer conference. You will meet interesting people and learn why the truth is always in the packets. Well, hello, welcome back to another episode. Uh, tonight, we're going to have one of our hopefully ongoing series about interviewing people who present at Sharkfest and also are involved in the project of Wireshark. In this case, uh, with me tonight is Sake Block, who is or has been a core developer for quite some time. Uh, and we're going <laughs> to talk about his history with the project, his personal history and interest uh, with Wireshark and packet capture as well as some fun games he drew up yeah. for the for the conferences and in general and how awesome we are as a group so you should visit us as at conferences obviously you should you really should yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely uh so welcome sake and thanks for doing this well thanks for the invitation Rollins. good to be here so sake Tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, where do you come from? How, how did your interest in, in network analysis and packet capture start? That's actually a long story, just like Wireshark. Wireshark turns 25 this year. And back in 1998, I was still working at a, an ISP here in Holland, and I didn't know anything about packet capture. It only started when I was working for a large bank that, uh, that I needed to analyze some network traffic. We used uh, Cisco probes and Sniffer Pro to do that. And, then uh, the problem was that you couldn't capture and filter at the same time and the capture filters or the filters were very rigid and then somebody pointed me to Freshmeat where there was this little project called Ethereal or Ethereal depending on how you pronounce it and um, so I started using that I think it was like 99 or something like that so just a year after Warshark or Ethereal started yeah I was blown away and I could run it on my own laptop and I could uh, capture and I could uh, analyze and I could filter at the same time and I could really dig into the details of packets and so that really got me it got me started and um, yeah so I was working for this large bank and, and uh, we used some load balancers which is uh, our machines that, that are in the middle of traffic doing something at the network layer but also at the application layer and, and there were a lot of new features in there and uh, so there were a lot of bugs as well so a lot of uh, analysis needed to be done and that's how I got started actually I think it was like, like in 2001 I started working for the recenter of those type of devices and I really started using Wireshark a lot or Ethereal I think it was in 2006 that I joined the mailing list because I needed some help or I wanted to help out or and something like that and I started to look into the mailing list and that's I started answering questions and Guy Harris corrected me twice in, in my answer that I wasn't complete. <laughs> so that was for me the trick. Okay, if I answer a question on the mailing list, it needs to be in such a way that, that Guy Harris can't correct me or can't add stuff to it. But uh, And that really helped me in helping other people because it really made me not give like 90% of the answer, but 100% of the answer and the other 10% that I needed to, to work out for myself. And that's how I learned a lot myself as well. For, for those of you listening, uh, Guy Harris is a core developer who has been with us since, I think, the beginning of the project. And he is immensely he's knowledgeable. Meticulous. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's meticulous and immensely knowledgeable. Yeah, that's, that's where it works. He will drill down if you are just a little bit off 
the, the the center of the question. And he, the, the the weird thing is, he knows really a lot about BSD internals. Uh, I think he used to work for a big uh, company with some kind of fruit in the logo. Uh, yep. and, uh, he also knows a lot about windows processing network stuff, Linux networking stuff. It's, it's kind of crazy. And basically whenever one of us submits something and guy appears on the patch, we all know, okay, this is not going to be easy, <laughs> but no. he's always pointing us in the right direction. He's all, he's a yeah. correcting factor and a very important yeah. part of the community. And he's nice about it. He's not like yeah. he, he's he's not telling you off. He's just he's just adding to it. Like if you put some effort in an answer and then you get correct, it's like, hey, this is not what I want. Yeah. And he, I, I met him at the first Sharkfest, and it's it's he and Laura. I think that he and Laura uh, met at the second Sharkfest. If I'm correct, I'm not sure. We had our first Sharkfest in 2008, and yeah, that was the first time that that I met a lot of the core developers and, and met Gerald and and. Met Laura at Chapel and, yeah. and the whole community basically was was a little bit formed back then. He's also like I is also the maintainer of the TCP dump uh, yeah. projects, and also the uh, if you need a, a link layer type, uh, another link layer, yeah, yeah, link layer type. Yeah, if you need an LLTD defined, yeah. uh, you yeah. have to basically get by him and explain yeah. why <laughs> why why you need it. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, yeah. I always love it when he. When when somebody asks a question, he first corrects the the, the question like the, I assume or this is what you wanted to ask, and then he asks answers his own question. Yeah. yeah. So it, basically, he, he he taught me to be to be correct and to be to be a better teacher, basically. So yeah, yeah I think I thank him for that. It, it, it made me a better person in a way. Yeah. I think I think Guy Harris is one of the great examples why our community works as well as it does because. Uh, on one hand, he, I think, besides the original first uh, two shark fests, he never shows up to a shark fest. No, he's no. very secluded in a personal way, but at the same yeah. time, he's very integrated and an integral part of of communication within the project, and he's always yeah. there helping out. He's never angry or bitter or anything like that he as you said yeah. he always wants you to try better you do better and and yeah. to improve your own kind of yeah. knowledge about the factor and yeah. in that kind of sense he all makes us better teachers he all makes us better coders because we we have to really what you do with open source development a lot of times is you have an idea and you just start mm. hacking away and yeah he will he will shout out every mistake you made, not not in the sense of you coded wrong, but in the sense of have you this really be thought this through, or yeah. is 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 this the right yeah. way to do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We all have our pers personal personal relationship with the guy here, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> even though if he even if he doesn't know it. Yeah. So back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, you ch you yeah. joined the mailing list. <laughs> you got corrected yeah, by Guy Harris. Yeah, I joined the main list, and I, I, I think I want to ask something, and and basically, I think maybe it was even that uh, I needed a feature, like I, I was analyzing traffic for over a proxy, and and I needed a feature uh, like the X forward four field in the HTTP sector, and I think that was the main reason why I joined the mailing list. Like, okay, I need to ask for that, and then then I realized, hey, this is open source. Maybe I shouldn't ask for it. Maybe I should build it, and. Uh, I downloaded the source code. I I, I wasn't I wasn't uh, very fluent on Windows and, and not on development because I'm a network guy, not a not a developer. 
So I, and not by trade anyway, but I, um, I created a Linux environment, a development environment, and I started to look at source code and see, okay, what, how, how does this HTTP sector work? How does it make fields? And, uh, and it turned out that it was quite easy to add another field. Um, so I did that and I submitted it to the mailing list because that was our, the way we submitted patches back then. And, um, since I was developing on Linux, but I was using Wireshark or Ethereal on uh, Windows, I wanted to have an automated build as quickly as possible. So every time, every time I, I submitted, well, that was my first patch and, and I, I got a question like, do we really need it? You can do it like this. And I said, no, 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 I really need it. Okay. Well, I'll submit it. And I'm not sure. See, who was it? Maybe it was Martin Thiessen. I don't, I'm not sure anymore. I need to go back in the mailing list, but it was, it was admitted and then, uh, I waited for the for automated build and and I could use it away on my Windows system and it was like wow I I created something I needed in this program and that yeah that kind of I'm not, I'm not sure whether you remember your first patch but for me as a non-developer it was like hey this is this is great I can I can uh, scratch my own itches with this and and yeah I was working for this company and and one of our customers they were using multiple spending tree but the old cisco variety not the the the, the ieee variety uh -huh. and i think this was either they use cisco and and uh the ieee the sector was there or the other way around i can't remember but one of the, f the first ones wasn't there and so i created i added to the, the sector to to analyze that so i could solve my problem at that company and um yeah that really got me started and uh, and every time I needed a feature, like, okay, I'm going I'm, I'm to build this. Like I was doing a lot of analysis on the front and on the backside of a load balancer, which means I needed to, um, to match those sessions together, which I did with prepare as filter and then select the filter, copy it, copy it over to the, to the other side. And then yeah, this can be easier. Let's create a copy as filter button that you can just create, uh, have some of those steps in one and that's maybe my second patch or third or whatever, very early in my development, I created that, I guess. Yeah, I helped myself and in that way I helped others with my code. And I think that's that's the wonderful thing about open source. You scratch your own back, but then a lot of backs get scratched at the same time. And somebody scratches their own back and your back gets scratched. And in the end, you build something together that's, uh, in my opinion, a wonderful product. Yeah. The, the thing, the thing I like about that, and uh, the thing I like about the way you described it is the entry level from from a protocol side of view for Wireshark is actually very low. People tend to be shy about it because it's this huge source code. It's this, I don't know, three million lines of code, uh, and while I have to have this immense kind of knowledge to to actually achieve something in this program to to change something, but that's not true at all because you have this this vast library of protocols and if as you said if you just want to add a field or if you want to change a description or if you want to uh, some people want to add their own protocols there are vast mm -hmm. examples on how to do that and it's easy to integrate there's it's it's not that difficult the main problem as you faced yourself is setting up the development environment it's it's not so yeah. much adding to the code which these days I just do with the Vagrant, the Vagrant uh, install. It's just Vagrant up and it creates a Linux development environment for you without having to do anything, which is yeah. it's just perfect. So yeah, it doesn't need to, it doesn't need to, uh, to be much so. Well, 
So did you did you have issues when you added the button and and stuff like that? Did you have issues that you were running into the cross uh, platform stuff a little bit, or did you just go with Linux development, Windows testing? I always consider myself a very intelligent copy and paster. So <sighs> I, if I need something like when I when I created the the, the temporary coloring, which was renamed to conversation coloring, which is wrong in my opinion because it's really temporary coloring because you can you can use it for different things. But somebody else thought it was conversation coloring, so it was renamed, and I wasn't aware of that until much later. So yeah. Yeah, so I looked at the code for, for I looked at features in Wireshark that resembled what I needed to do, and then I cut out those parts that I think I thought, okay, this is what I need to 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 build up what I intend to build, and and yeah, so if it was bad code that I copied, it, it remained bad code. If it was good code, it remained good code, but it was working. So um, all the intricacies of different platforms was in the code that I copied. So I didn't, I didn't myself run into that problem because I was just copying stuff from others that already dealt with that. Like I said, I'm a network engineer, I'm, I'm a network analyst, and I have some programming experience and uh, affinity with programming. So I'm, I'm able to read code, I'm able to uh, understand when I copy something what, what is needed and what not, and how I need to change it. But if you, if you ask me to write something from scratch, then I'll probably fail, probably. Well, I'll probably succeed, but it takes a long time. Would you say would you say it this is a useful skill to have for a network engineer to be able to read code? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But of course any skill is useful to have and, and every every piece of knowledge that you acquire uh, broadens your view on things. Like I what I miss I never coded for, for network protocols, so I never coded an application that really used the network. Which sometimes if I analyze stuff, I'm I'm not aware of the intricacies of how how a program interacts with a, the networking stack because I have no experience in that and so yes it would benefit me if I would develop something that that's really using the network stack so I can experience myself what it does and how it interacts and what what the effect is of certain features and, and flags and stuff but um, yeah of course I I think that that would help but in a general way I think it helps if you have an understanding of of coding that you have an understanding of how a protocol works and in, in why a protocol makes certain decisions and then, then it helps if you have some coding experience but I don't think a network engineer well in the old days like in these days with a network as code where where everything is is not configured by hand anymore but things are automated and, and scripted and, and put in in a repository to be deployed automatically yeah then it helps of course it helps if you're if you have some programming experience and some experience with um uh, versioning system and systems, yeah, source code versioning systems. It it's just it's it's currently a lot of debate around the fact that, uh, as you mentioned, network as a code is a huge topic. Uh, a lot of uh, companies like Juniper, Cisco, and people uh, in other companies start developing courses and products that evolve around scripting or developing stuff for the network and and using network really versioned with with lot of versioning systems and stuff like that. So there's a question going on and it's, it's being asked on Twitter quite some time. If you need to be a software engineer to become a network engineer or vice versa, or if it's a useful skill to have. And I think you answered perfectly ties into that because I agree. It's a useful skill to have, but yeah. 
there is no real requirement vice versa it's good to have a basic understanding of the other side depending on which side of the topic you are at but at the same time each side has such a huge knowledge base to have to begin with that I, mm. I personally think if you feel more comfortable doing network stuff then you should focus on the network stuff if you do feel more comfortable on the software stuff then you should focus on the software stuff and just find people to connect on the other side and talk oh. it over and, and and i think you should never cherish from close that. your eyes or or no push away other things like like if something comes on your path just embrace it and um you don't need to go f full full all the way in it but if things come your path and and it's always good to to know the language of the people surrounding you yeah doing other stuff so you can interface with them if you if you if you've got no idea what they talk about then they and they don't know what you're talking about you're never going to solve an issue together so you you need basic understanding of each other's language of each other's terms of each other's problems and then then you can yeah you can work on them yeah. and it also helps gaining appreciation because otherwise uh, especially software developers tend to to suffer from this ivory tower phenomenon where a lot of a lot of software developers think because they can code they're i don't know the world's answer to any problem um and it i think it helps to broaden as you say to broaden your view to to embrace new stuff embrace other techniques because there is always something to learn wherever you look yeah but yeah i still learn every day yeah yeah, yeah. even after I, 20 years 25 years of network analysis still learn every day yeah it's, yeah. it's I find I find it kind of fascinating. I learned today something about shell scripting. I've been doing shell scripting about hey. since '97. That's when I wrote yeah. my first bash script. I learned something today that's been around since then, and I thought, well, that's new to me. It's stupid that it works like that, but it's yeah, it's definitely something new. Now you got me interested. <laughs> oh, it's, it it was really benign it was how to clear syslog messages so when you do a test run you have a empty thing and i was like under the impression you just called syslog daemon and tell him clear the log or something like that yeah. no you just echo a blank to the log message file yeah yeah i was yeah. like nah yeah my my developer heart was bleeding screaming deadlock stall whatever but you know it's it's the officially yeah. recommended way of Debian. So okay, okay. nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's fun. You always learn stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so, you know, when I started like back backtracking to my development early days, I, I I started to develop some some features that I really wanted myself, and they they were all after whining for me. They were accepted, and I think sometimes at some point the whining of me to, because I needed it for Windows got the better of uh, of Gerald and he, he just said, okay, here's right access and don't whine anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I became a core developer. That's at least how I <laughs> experienced it. <laughs> it might be it might be different. I'm, of course, I wasn't in the core group, so I didn't know how, how it was discussed that I should be a core developer, but that, that's basically how I uh, how I felt. Like, okay, I'm, I'm whining too much. I'm, 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 I'm core, okay. And with great core comes great responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was in 2007, and 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 just after the move to to uh, to Wireshark and and the move from Gerald to Case Technologies and Janus coming into the game, talking about hey maybe we should get the developers together for meeting each other, and and that's how how Shark Fest got started. It was fun to it was I was 
like added to the core list at the say at, at the proper time. I mean, it, it was a start of of the building of the community. Like the project has been the, had been there for ten years with people all around the world just working on it and not not knowing each other. And um, right at that time, the, the the community started to grow. And I think that's Genesis legacy. Yeah, yeah definitely. So yeah. for those and Gerald of, and Gerald of course as well. Because yeah. we, I think what what Gerald really. Uh, really understood while he was working on this that it isn't about him developing this project. It's about him develop or creating this environment and community where people can develop for this project. Yeah. And I think that's, um, yeah. And and Chen is being the driving force behind creating the community. Gerald being yeah. the setting up and, and, and basically providing the environment that Chen is driving. Yeah. Yeah, two, angle, two angles to the same problem, yeah. to the same thing. Like, like there needs to be a community like for development and community for personal things and 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 and, and that that goes beyond the development and and both of them managed it really well so what was your experience at the first shark fest it was fun it was scary i mean there there was a um there was a call on the on the core list like okay we are organizing shark fest who wants to present and i was doing a lot of uh, command line stuff at the time and on the mailing list, I, I asked every T-shirt question that that came around. I asked, I answered it, and and so people started to to know me about oh, that's that's a CLI guy. Somebody suggested, yeah, you should do a talk on using T-shirt. So yeah, I created a talk on how to use T-shirt. I've been repeating nearly doing that for quite a while, and I think it's it's it's. I always get when I give that talk, it's it's really appreciated because people don't know. Like what I what I show is how you start with T-shirt, where you, uh, how you can do stuff, and then I extend on it. Like you pipe your 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 output to to other best commands, and in doing so, you can you can extract or you can turn data from T-shirt into information. If you haven't never seen that before, if you've never done that before, and I think network people are not very fluent in 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 uh, a lot of them are not very fluent in. Uh, processing information on the Linux or Unix command line. So w when you see that happening and you, you see what can be done, that's an eye-opener for a lot of people. And I've got really, really a lot of people after my talks like, hey, this is a really great session and, and I learned something, I'm really going to use it. And of course, that's very motivating for me as well to to continue presenting at Sharkfest. I mean, I, I, I've been to every Sharkfest except two. One because I had back problems, and the second one because I was I bought a house and and it was delivered like uh, just around Sharkfest, so I needed to be here to build a house basically or to to do stuff in the house. But I, I feel, still feel very sorry that I missed two. I think you you one one of the highest you have one of the highest participation rates since Sharkfest. Probably, started. probably I will never beat Anders and Megumi unless he stopped. Emma Gumi, no. Uh, if they're not, if they stop coming, then I probably can surpass them. But otherwise, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm somewhere in the top ten. Where, but. but, but you may, yeah, you mentioning T-shirt is actually something that's I think interesting to a lot of you uh, listeners because when you install install Wireshark, you immediately drawn to this flashy UI program, which obviously does the job for a lot of tasks, but at the same yeah. time, you install a whole suite of, of tools yeah. that you can use. And T-Shirk being one of the great ones because you can use it for automated testing, you can use it for automated data logging and stuff like that. It's actually being used in a lot of appliances 
for exactly yeah. that. Um, and very few people really know it properly or the way you do it. I think my work is like 50% Warshark, 50% T-Shark. Well, no, maybe 70% Warshark, 30% T-Shark. I do a lot of pre-processing with T-Shark. I do a lot of, if I need some statistics or anything, I use T-Shark. And of course, if I need to investigate manually and interactively, I use Warshark, of course. But once I know what I'm looking for and I want to verify like, okay, is this always happening or is this, uh, then I use T-Shark to automate that and, and, and to get, yeah, to check things. One of the great things you do, you mentioned that you started very early with presenting at Wajak, uh, basically at your uh, Shark Fest, basically at your first yeah. one. Um, yeah. One of the things you set up, and actually, I think one of the most surprising community events we have at Shark Fest yeah. was done, uh, if I remember correctly, at the first Portugal Shark Fest we had back in 2017. No, it was the, 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 the Pittsburgh was the first. Pittsburgh. That, oh yeah. yeah, Pittsburgh were yeah. the first. You set up yeah. a little game for us, mm-hmm. which was yeah. That was like like I think I think it was 2017. Yeah, I, like I missed 2013, 2014. I think I think that's the time that you joined the core team uh, also. I guess because my first I think, uh, uh, shark fest was 2016 Arnheim, but yeah, I joined okay. at the beginning of 2016 uh, the core developer. Okay, okay, yeah, because. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, for, for Sharkfest 2017, I, I, I had, I'm like, I, you want to do something different with each presentation. I, I repeated a lot of presentations because they're really valuable, but I also want to do new stuff. And I think I just did my first escape room where I did like a couple of excavations just before that. And, and I, I was like, why don't I create a challenge in, in, in a pickup file? Why not do something like that? And then the whole idea got carried away, like not doing only a challenge, but making a whole uh, timed game of it. So I created a website with uh, a, where you can get hints uh, based on time and where you uh, there's this clock running through to zero that you needed to solve the puzzles. And it's all kind of an escape room-like uh, experience. And what I did is I tried to put in funky stuff. I think the first one had, had like a chessboard and and on the chessboard were some letters and and in the pink traffic there was the locations of the on the chessboard that you needed and and so you needed to combine the image somewhere in the in the in the pika file with the the data in the bing packets and and then got a password for probably a pdf that was in there and and um yeah i, I tried to hide things like that i tried to combine puzzles and and i think i created like three now or four and what I tried to do is the first one was really like some puzzles and and, and network traffic. The, I think the second one was too much network traffic focused. And yeah, it's, it's nice if it's, it's if it's a story that you that that kind of makes sense. And but it's really hard to create a puzzle in in, in network traffic because yeah, and there's not many places. Well, there's a lot of places that you can just put stuff, but to create locks, like in an escape room, there's all kinds of locks that you need to unlock and. To be able to do that in a pickup file, the, the, yeah, the possibilities are quite limited. Um, there's always uh, some decryption, um, which Jasper hates before because he, he kind of always messes that up. <laughs> <laughs> and and actually, the fun part was in the first uh, SPK challenge that I did. There was one team, the core developer team. You were yeah, you were in it. 
and and you were you were struggling with the 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 the, the decryption part, and that's because you were running the latest and bleeding edge code, and there was a bug introduced in the latest code which you all had, but none of the other people had that because they they were running like a ver normal version, right? Yeah. <laughs> No, it's, it, it was especially funny because the guy who, who created this bug was actually the one who tried to get it working or the decryption working and he was very flummoxed why it wasn't working. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's your quality assurance testing that we do. <laughs> yeah, but the, the, the first one was especially interesting because we all heard about the game we all wanted to play, but there was this rule set up for that the core developers are not allowed to join because we know the program as as that well, yeah. so we, it would yeah. be an unfair advantage. As it turned out, that wasn't the case. So no. we core developers, we created our own team and played against the others as kind of an out of the yeah. competition. We, we, made, we made a deal that you that you were not allowed to win it. Yeah, and we that, so you very, can, you can play. very skillfully helped you achieve that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You threw uh, in your own glasses too to make that possible. Yeah, yeah. No, but the, the thing is, the thing is, and this is something most people don't realize. Although we know the source code and we know a lot of stuff, none of us knows all, all of it. None of us knows the majority of the functionality. No, and so. Especially in those challenges, it's very interesting to us because we often see stuff we usually don't use. And I remember, yeah. I don't know if it was Pittsburgh or the first one in Portugal, where you, there was a puzzle where you had to filter for a specific type of package. And then in the info column, uh, there, were, there was a kind of a, a pattern that was, if you read it sideways, it was the password or something like that. It was, it was very intriguing. It was thinking over three, four, five, six steps, and you have to figure it out. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of, one of the other ones was, uh, we had a PCAP file we had to read through, but you can also in Wireshark open the PCAP file as a file format, not as a trace yeah. file. And there was one where there was a hidden comment in this file format section, which you would otherwise not see. And so there is a lot of, do do three, four, five different steps. Not yeah. necessarily real life examples, but at the same time, you learn a lot about how the program works, what you can do with it, which features are available. Yeah, I mean, creating creating. Of course, I can create some some parts of the channels I create with normal uh, traffic. So you set up some VMs to send mail or or uh, to do a download or stuff like that. So that that's normal traffic, but crafted for or used in a way that you can use it for the channels. But a lot of challenges need traffic that that can't be on a real network, so you need to craft that. And I use KP to do that. And I remember for the first one, I I wanted to do something with. There's not many places where Wireshark is graphical, and one of the places that it is is the is the TCP stream graph. Yes, yes. And I wanted to do something with a TCP, TCP stream graph, and and in the end, I created a script that could produce text in the TCP stream graph by yeah. crafting packets. And I didn't want to make it obvious, so it, it was like, okay, this needs to be like a line that goes on the screen, and there's in the middle there's something going on, and if you zoom in on that part, then you can see what it, yeah. it is actually. That was so much fun to create. No, it's, 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 but it's really hard. I, I totally get it, and you sit quite a lot of time creating that thing. It's not something you do over the course of a week or something. You sit quite some time to get it done, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that it's it's a process of knowing that you want to build this, creating the storyline, 
trying to think of ways to hide things or create challenges that that that, that combine information from one end to the other end. And it takes time to ripe and 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 then when it when you got the idea right, then then you need to, by all means how do I create these packets that will actually do this? I mean, it's one thing to to think of what could be done, but then to create the packets that make that happen is like yeah, that's the it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, a lot of thinking, and uh, yeah, yeah. And th and the bad thing is you can't participate in the games, right? No, and and then like for Sharkfest. 2022 like last year like when when we did the virtual shark like because of covid we 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 turned virtual like every conference and like normally at, at Sharkfest, we i ran the spk challenge and there was a packet challenge like a like a4 piece of paper with some questions about some trace files which always is very nice because it taught people to look at packets a, a different way and since we had a virtual conference we couldn't hand out like a, like papers with Packet challenges, we couldn't do like the SPK challenge, like I said, and I started doing CTFs, like security CTFs. So I thought, hey, why not do a CTF for a Sharkfest? And so I started creating a CTF based on the CTFD platform, which is also a lot of work, especially when you run it and you haven't tested it properly before going live, then, then <laughs> it, it really keeps you busy during the whole uh, Sharkfest. But, and then we, we went from virtual to physical again, or hybrid. Uh, I hope we never do hybrid again, but that's a different story. So I, I ran the CTF and I, and I also like, oh, we need an SPK challenge. That's just too much work. So uh, I know uh, Tom Peterson from uh, from CloudShark, he, uh, he created some challenges for Halloween and one for Christmas. And those were a lot of fun as well. So I reached out to him and was like, okay, um, you want to do an SPK challenge and you're the only guy I know that that, are, that is capable of creating something like this. and are you are you interested in, in making one? He said, "Yeah, that's that's that was so much fun to do, and I'm I'm pretty busy. I need to ask my employer if I can get some time off to to uh, or to to spend some time on this." And and yeah, he made that happen, and and we uh, we asked them to sponsor because they they were involved in this way already, and they they sponsored Sharkfest at the same time, which was really great. So he made he made a really really good one. Um, what I learned from him is my challenges were technically good and challenging, but he made it so that people that aren't technical can can participate. So yeah. it's even including the people that are not as packet savvy as, as other people are. And he went a step further in, in creating a storyline. And that yeah. really got me as far like, oh, hey, this, if I'm going to create one again, and I think I'm, I need to create one for the next Sharkfest, I'm trying to focus on creating challenges that are, that are more in a storyline with some parts being just the 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 packet stuff but also some parts being non-packet stuff so other people can participate as well the only thing was that he chose a specific topic that was very easy for americans it was not so easy for non-americans because it was yeah. the, wiz the wizard of oz themed and mm. the issue with that is if you're not american you're not grown you grow up with that movie and no uh so a lot still of I, I mean uh, like 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 we started to discuss it because you said you can't participate and and so when 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 I when I asked him to do this I was like oh then I can finally participate because I yeah I, I don't need to uh, I, I can just run it and then since it might it is my platform I have all access to uh, to all the solutions and answers it was like mm. and I need to test it so I can't participate anyway so I I tested it. Uh, on my own, so I, I did have the fun of of solving his challenges because I needed to test it, but it was not in a competition way. 
yeah. but still was nice to, uh, to to run it. And to me, even though I'm not grown up with the, the the whole Wizard of Oz thing, it wasn't too big a problem for me. When you when you listen to a lot of American TV shows or movies, you you start to pick up stuff. You you a lot of those topics are in american culture and if you yeah. just immerse yourself with that you pick a lot of stuff up that's true but at the same time there were some especially in the crossword puzzle there were some specific questions that yeah it wouldn't come yeah. from the top of my mind no no and i think if i if i had times my efforts to solve it i would not have been able to solve it within a time that was granted of course, I was on my own, and, and if you do it with a group of people, then you have more knowledge than just being on your own. But yeah, no, it, it's it's true, and, and it's it's something that we, that you need to take into 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 account. If. What I what I like about when we have the SPCAP challenge, the SPCAP challenge teaches you a lot of stuff about what you can do with Wireshark, how you can use the program, what tools are available within the program. The capture the flag, on the other hand, teaches you a lot about the stuff that uh, that Wireshark displays, that Wireshark portrays. You learn a lot about how do you figure out that this host is, is delaying messages or yeah. how do you figure out that the DNS is whatever. It's a lot of protocol-related stuff. And yeah. so I really like that we have both games at Sharkfest because on the one hand, you have this fun evening activity where you learn the program, but throughout the whole week, you have also this, this capture the flag stuff where you just can challenge yourself. How good do you know network protocols and how good are you with coming from, you know, it's the old question you ask in your math class when you have a text that describes the mathematical problem and a lot of people has issues getting from this to the to the mathematical term they need to solve, and it's similar with capture the flag because you need to get from the technical stuff to the actual thing that you need to solve. Which, for me, it's a great learning curve and it's a great learning experience when I do the CTF. It's it's basically the reason why I did the CTF is not to create a challenge that people can solve, but to create a challenge that people need to stretch themselves and learn something to be able to solve it. Yeah, I see it as a learning experience and not as a, of course it's a challenge and it's a game, but it's, to me, it's like, it's more like, okay, I want to trigger people with things that they don't know to investigate and to learn something. Unfortunately, yeah. there won't be a, C there won't be a CTF in the next Sharkfest. So, because yeah, there's nobody else picking up the, the tab to, to create one. And I, I can't do an SPCAP challenge and a CTF at the same time. So yeah, if we, if we have to choose, we always choose the SPCAP challenge because that's yeah. just way too much fun. Yeah, and, the, and and the other thing is like for, for the virtual conference the ctf was perfect because people were at their homes not yeah. meeting people and then they could work on the on the ctf challenge during sharkfest actually at sharkfest we tried to to create an atmosphere that people are tempted to to meet each other talk to each other and uh spend time together instead of spending time in their laptop solving the ctf so i think kind of the ctf is not the right format for doing a live share quest. Yeah, it, it, it creates an atmosphere of people wanting to solve the puzzles in the CTF and spending time in their laptops instead of spending time meeting other people and talking to other people and getting experience from each other. And yeah, we decided on, on dropping the CTF for the next share fest and doing the, just a speaker challenge. When you, when you just mentioned that earlier uh, about the CTF being a learning experience, uh, one more thing that comes to mind for me is Nowadays, you don't do that many changes anymore to the source code. But what you are known as, 
is being one of our big teachers, so to speak, for Wireshark. So do, do you like that switch? Is, is this a role that you enjoy or? No, it's, it's, it's something that happens organically, I guess. I mean, back in, I, I looked at all my commits and the, the, like the, the first ones are in 2006. Uh, they're not listed on my name because they were submitted by other people, but somewhere in 2011, it stopped. And, and uh, back then I, I, I started my own company. Uh, so a lot of time went into my company. Also, uh, ask.wireshark.org started back then. And I started answering there. I think for a while I was number one in the in the list of yeah, in, the, in the ranking, until somebody else came along and really had some spare time and, and and blew me away from my first place. But yeah, I started I started doing that more. And also the move from GTK to Qt. GTK is is C based and Qt is written in C plus plus. And I don't know C plus plus, so I couldn't do any GUI development anymore. At least not without having a steep learning curve. It was also the time that we moved from subversion to Git, and uh, the whole uh, Garrett reviewing system was introduced. And as I'm not a software developer, all those things are are, are like new to me and and are an extra burden. And all these things together made that I uh, that I wanted to develop some stuff, but I I wasn't able to. That too much of a learning curve to to do that again. And I tried like a couple of times. I see some commits over the years. Like okay, I tried again, and then I back again right recently I, I started doing some development again one, one change was good but the other change broke the <laughs> the, the, the uh, programming interface that we have for plugins like we we, we try to promise the people that build pl plugins that within a in a in a um, official release like 4.0 or 3.6 or whatever within that stream your plugin would always work because the interface would, would stay the same and I created a bug fix that introduce some new fields in some very low layer structs that we that we have on the packets and changing that basically breaks the the programming interface and and it wasn't picked up but uh because we have a reviewing system that somebody else is always checking the code of of, of the of a core developer before it gets in and I, th I guess i expected that somebody would notice that somebody more experienced and i guess the the, the person who, uh, who accepted it assumed that i was I did that check myself, and so it slipped through. There was a, a complaint on Ask, like, hey, uh, is it true that the programming interface is, is broken? Yeah, we had to say, yes, it is. And I was the one to blame. So I pulled back the changes for, for 3.6 and 4.0, and uh, yeah, which is a shame, but yeah. I don't, I don't see it as you the one to blame. I think it's a learning curve we all went through, and we all broke the, the ABI from one time or another. Yeah. I didn't know the big deal. You can run 403 and you can run 405. So 404 will be will be the one. I think we should delete it from the website and have nah. <laughs> Yeah, because then we can say Warshark 404, not found. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. I actually made a joke earlier, like oh, we should we should not have, we should not have released 404. So I made a joke earlier in, in one of the foundation meetings and 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 then then it turned out I broke the <laughs> so People might think I did it on purpose, but that's not the case. It just happened. <laughs> One of the challenging things with Wireshark is that we always have to consider not only that, that was my question earlier, not only that oh, we yeah. consider the platform we are running at, but we are running a lot of platforms, actually. We, obviously yeah. most people see the big three, Linux, Windows, and Mac, 
uh, which by itself is not really true because we Mac, for instance, we have x86 and the, the Apple Silicon platform. And for Linux, we run back to, I think the, the oldest one we support is some Red Hat 15 something, which is about four years old, five years old, but we still support it because it's still being used by companies Good. and it's still not end of life. So this is one of the challenging things and a lot of open source tools in my experience don't care about that but we do we we tend to yeah make our lives harder to to ensure that people can use the program at their work place of work and i mean if yeah. you look at how, how how many people are using it in, in so many different situations we we i don't think we're always aware of that i mean we we develop no. for to scratch their own backs and and um and that's perfect and, and we develop features that that we like or or need and and i mean i'm i'm really in awe if i see somebody explain a feature to other people and it's a feature that i build it's like this is this is crazy people are finding it useful are teaching it to other people and 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 it's a great feeling to know that that it's something that you that that came from your mind and your keyboard fingers and you know but it's 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 so it's such a wide audience that we develop for but what i find challenging is that i'm coming more from the ui these days when i do development mm -hmm. and i hadn't had that much time over the past four or five months but when you do development i come more from the ui side of things and uh, wireshark can really knock you on your feet when you first open it because it's yeah. you get all this information screamed at you and you don't necessarily, when you start out with packet analysis, know what to do at all. And it's kind of overwhelming when you see all the packets running through yeah. and you have no clue what to do next or what to look for, stuff like that. And so we have also this, this vast difference in, in user experience. We have users who open Wireshark once, two, three times a year. And right. we have users who yeah. basically it's the first program they open every time they start up their computer. So it's kind of fascinating hey, why, to... why close it yeah why, <laughs> well <laughs> there were some versions way way back that closed automatically uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was actually when i when i about 10 years ago when i wasn't when we're starting out with developing software for azure i was kind of pissed because it was running with this with this machine safety protocol and i wanted to see not the bytes in the packets, but I wanted to see actually the field names. And so yeah. we were using a different packet analysis tool back then at my company. And when I recommended using Wireshark because it's open source and we can't just add that stuff, they always said, well, well, Wireshark crashes all the time. It's not worth using. So that, that okay. basically was the get-go answer. It wasn't, it's working a lot, but they do, they really didn't care. It's, back then, Wireshark had a bad rep and it's when all those fast testing started when all those automatic builds yeah. started and it was pre that it was version one yeah. eight or ten something like that yeah if, if you look at like like in, i've been with the project for like most of his lifetime and if you look at the the, the cycles that we had in the development environments like there is a huge progress in 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 how we deal with this with the, with the code base it, it is a is a real ci cd development environment where where things are automatically tested where where and this th i think that's also the reason why for me 
my development in the early days was easier because it was like a more of a wild west where I could just yeah. develop some code, I put it in, it was accepted, and if it if it broke something, I would fix it. And yeah, yeah, we become we became a company with a thirty people staff developer team basically yeah. without having any one driving the ship. We all drive no. ourselves, but. At the same time, we all have the same goals, which is kind of fascinating because there's, yeah, it's it, it's kind of self-correcting, but at the same yeah. time, really, really yeah. intense development. I want yeah. to ask you something uh, else for for the last question because there is something going on in the Netherlands which I'm kind of envy about, and you are okay. a little bit vocal. Uh, you have a Wireshark user group and regular meetings. Yes, how is that going? Well. Regular is maybe we try to make it regular, but yeah, it, it, I think it was at Sharkfest 2019 EU. So in Portugal, I spoke with uh, Andre Leier from the from the Rabobank. I think we flew back on the same plane, so we 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 chatted at the airport. Like, hey, wouldn't it be nice to uh, to get more people in 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 the Netherlands? together uh, with a focus on, on network analysis. So I created a meetup account. We, uh, he works at a, at a large bank in, in, uh, in Holland and they have, yeah, they have a tendency to, to do meetups, technical meetups to, yeah, to show the outside world, hey, we're, we're trying to be an innovative company. And we talked to the community manager at, at, uh, at this company and, and he said, well, we, we have a room we can, we can sponsor a meetup. So that's when the first meetup in, in, in the Netherlands took place uh, three years ago. And something happened after us. I'm, I can't remember what, but something <laughs> happened with, which made it meeting each other really difficult. So. It was in the in the in the fridge for for like three years and and uh, probably as last Sharkfest we, we we talked to each other again like hey we should get this going again so we had our second meeting which like when we started we were planning to do two meetings a year and uh, there was three years apart between the first and the second meeting but it was it was really great we, the first meeting was like seventy people it was really crazy we had to we had to say no to people and. The second meeting was 40 people. It's still very great. I mean, for to, to get 40 people to spend an evening uh, after work to to talk Wireshark and packets to listen to two presentations. Or maybe they came for the food, but most of them I think came for the for the for the for the presentations. It was really great. We try to do it twice a year. So if you're in the Netherlands and you want to join. Look up the Wireshark users and our meetup group on meet on meetup and uh, subscribe to it, and we'll get you notified when we're when there's the next meeting. Yeah. No, I think it's a wonderful idea. It's, I'm kind of sad that we don't have something similar in Austria uh, or maybe well, in Bavaria, which would be close for me as well. It's not there until you make it. I mean, it wasn't there. Yeah. And I create and Andre and I created it, and and I think. It it works so, I think it would be nice to have Warshak meetups all around the world. It's 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 not like Sharkfest, but it's it's a, it's a bit similar. I mean, you you get two presentations, you learn something, you 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 meet people that are in your field of work, which is not not very common. It's a great way to to spend an evening, and I'm I'm very glad to be able to organize that. And speaking of that, I'm I I, I we are still looking for sponsors, of course, for because we can't do it all the time at at the at the large bank, but. So if people want to present, I don't need to present every time. I did for the last two ones, but I don't need to do it every time. I love to hear how other people are using Wireshark. 
And of course, we need some room to be able to host that many people. So yeah, if, if your company feels like, hey, this is nice, we want to host a, a Wireshark users and L meetup, then by all means, get in contact with me. Well, and with that, we always say we're going to do about a 20-minute episode and we just start talking and talking and talking. And it's yeah, and, that, and, and that's what the community is all all about, yeah. like a shared fest, meeting people and talking and having fun. Yeah, being weird in the same way. I mean, we are, we are a bunch of people who want to look at bits and bytes and enjoy yeah. it. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's some kind of level of weirdness, definitely. Yes. Uh, yes. So, Sake, thank you very much for joining us this evening. I had a blast, so thank you. Well, we're going to see each other at the next Shark Fest in the US. Uh, there is uh -huh. one in Asia. If somebody has some time over, left over in April, then we're going to be in Singapore. I'll be there. I'll, I'll be delivering a TLS, uh, analyzing TLS traffic with Bar Shark. So it's a TLS course and also TLS analysis course. And there will be some sessions, of course, like ShareFest always have, but yeah. yeah. That's in the middle of April. And we're going to have uh, our US ShareFest at the beginning of June, 10th to the 15th, I think, in San Diego this time. I'll be there. I will definitely be there. Flights are already booked. <laughs> oh, I, need to, I still need to book my flights. I need to work on that. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you very much. Dear listeners, you will find our next podcast. We hope we don't make that much of a delay until the next version of the podcast. Um, and yeah, have a good night. Bye. See you all. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this installment of the SharkBytes podcast. If you want to stay informed about upcoming episodes, please subscribe to our podcast at YouTube or your podcasting platform of choice. My name is Roland Cloud. See you next time.